Hi, this is Shane Ray, the host of Central Indiana Today, presented by Duke Energy. I am so glad you're joining me. Tonight we have a special show because uh, we're going to be talking with a very successful businessman, but the majority of what we're talking about is the fact that he owned some radio stations back during the 70s. And uh, we'll get his perspective on radio at that time. Also, we're going to be hearing from someone about uh, Misty Eye's new uh, goals as far as animal shelters. That's the proper term. You can figure it out a little bit later on. And uh, we're going to be talking with uh, folks from Rotary and the Brownsburg Fire Department about the Hops and Vines event that's coming up as well. So all you have to do if you want to hear all of that is stay right here. Duke Energy offers these three tips for understanding your bill. The first step to keeping your bill in check is understanding what's on it. Here's what to look for. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills cover 30 days, but sometimes it varies. Bills that cover more days can be higher. Look at average kilowatt hour use per day. At first glance, your bill may look higher, but if your average use is similar to the same time last year or similar to another month with extreme temperatures, it's a normal bill. If you have a smart meter, check for a daily usage analysis tool online. Smart meters collect info by the hour, so you can check for spikes in energy use to see what appliances and behaviors are increasing your bill. This public service announcement is sponsored by Duke Energy. Duke Energy presents Central Indiana Today. Shane Ray talks with the newsmakers in and around Hendricks County. And now your host, Shane Ray. As promised, here he is, Bob Bernstein. He goes just by Bob. That's what he likes everyone to call him. He is the owner of uh, Beauty Brands, uh, Beauty Brand Supply in uh, Avon, and that's how we met at a ribbon cutting there just a week or two ago. And uh, the, I struck up a conversation with Bob and was uh, learning about his history, and he let me know that um, he's been in several business ventures over the years, and one of them happened to have been radio several years ago, and it was just a fascinating story. And uh, I thought that that would make a great community interest story for all the listeners here in, uh, at, uh, in Hendricks County. So first off, we're going to f- get to know Bob a little bit. Bob, how are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am just great, just dandy. Thank you for asking. Uh, now, we're on the phone right now, and of course, we met in Avon a few weeks ago. First off, um, uh, you, you've this is kind of an interesting story. Maybe you can uh, explain to us. You were away from Beauty Brands, and then you came back. That's correct. We, uh, I actually sold the company. I started the company in 1994, and... Uh, uh, ran it for about 20 years, and then had an offer to sell, and it was too good an offer to refuse, so I decided to take advantage of that, and that was uh, in uh, the end of 2013, and uh, sold it to a uh, venture capital group out of uh, the West Coast, San Francisco, and uh, with the understanding they were going to expand the idea, the concept that uh, I had started and had built up to 56 stores, uh, all of which were doing well, and they were going to expand it and hopefully open another couple hundred stores in the next few years. And so, in fact, I even kept a little bit of the uh, interest in it. I kept uh, some interest in, in their venture so that I could uh, 
uh, go along with that growth, and uh, it didn't happen. <laughs> and they ended up not having a uh, successful venture. They decided to go in a different uh, uh, direction than we had taken the company and uh, brought in some outside management, and it did not uh, pan out for them. And they were taking it into uh, bankruptcy. And uh, when I found that out, I said, that's a, that's a shame that that would have to happen. We don't need that to happen. We can make this company back to where it was. And so we uh, decided to buy it, and I, I bought it back. And uh, we bought 25 of the uh, – they had about 60 stores open at that moment. This was February of this year. And now we're operating uh, 25 stores. Wow. Now, I don't know, uh, you started this company. When you do these companies like that, especially when you're there on the ground floor, do they sort of become like your babies in a way? Yeah, they, they really do. <laughs> I mean, this this especially because it was a new concept. It was something that no one had done before where you combine the operation of a, a salon with a, a major retail, uh, what I would call a superstore uh or the, some people call it a category killer. It was uh, hair, nail, and skin products, and all professional, and trying to do everything across the board, everything that you could find professionally in, the, in those categories. We had, and uh, and still do have, of course, and and then we offered uh, hair uh, services and nail services and and spa, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, massages and the facials. Uh, estheticians and uh, all, hair removal all of the all of the spa services and and we did that all under one roof and and the main thing that I was trying to create was uh, uh, something that no one had ever done before and that was being open seven days a week uh, hmm. from eight in the morning until nine at night uh, mainly to to help the working woman and the housewife who couldn't get away during the normal hours and wanted extended hours uh, either in the evening or on weekends and we found you know we had a lot of pushback on that from from the professionals in the business but we found that Sunday actually was one of our best days of the week people loved it to come in on Sunday and get their hair or the nails done at that time or facial so uh, you know we we created that concept and uh, we grew it from there started with one store and ended up with 56 when I sold it. Now, where did the one store start? start? Well, it started in a suburb of Kansas City, Missouri in Overland Park, and uh, it was just a, uh, a suburban store, and uh, our stores are all large, so they're they're bigger than most average, and you got to understand this is back in the 90s, mm-hmm. 1990s, and uh, and they uh, they were bigger than any salon anywhere, and bigger than any uh, retail store that sold these this type of products. So it it got uh, it got accepted very well, and and uh, so it took off uh, as as good as anything could. And then we started growing it from there, and and I ended up in about 17 different uh, markets, uh, including Indianapolis. And uh, we had five stores in Indianapolis. All were, I think, excellent stores. And I hope someday we'll we'll be back uh, doing uh, five or more stores in Indianapolis because it's a great area for us, greater Indianapolis. And, uh, and now we have Avon open again. Mm-hmm. And 
that's the first of I hope many. All right, uh, you know, you didn't. Uh, get the knowledge to do that, um, or for that matter, even the money just overnight. You've been uh, doing business for a while, and uh, there at the Ribbon Cutting in Avon, you mentioned to me that you actually uh, owned some radio stations at one time. What, what About what year are we talking about when you did that? Well, I did that in the early 70s, about 1970-71, somewhere in there. Uh, I ended up, uh, and that's, that brings into a whole other story, because I was also uh, in the premium business uh, selling uh, uh, concepts, ideas, premiums to McDonald's uh, Corporation out of uh, Oakbrook, uh, uh, Illinois, and uh, I happened to have sold a, an idea I had in the early 70s to them, and, and they bought so many of them so fast, it was the Sippy Dipper Straw. That's a tough one. Sippy dipper straw. <laughs> and it was a, a straw in the shape of the arches, a plastic straw. It was extruded in the shape of the golden arches. And I sold so many of them. Actually, uh, they ordered, uh, I think it was uh, 40 million of them wow. uh, in wow. a matter of uh, 90 days, that I, I needed to invest the proceeds of that into something, according to my accountant. I was a young man at that time. and. I'd never seen that kind of income, so I had been in the radio. I'd been a disc jockey when I was in college, and I said, you know, why not buy a radio station somewhere? <laughs> so I started out looking at one in Hawaii, and I met the owners in Las Vegas, and uh, on the way out, I said, I, I can't go out to Hawaii like this on a monthly or weekly basis. So I told them I was not going to buy it, and the the rep who was trying to sell the state so wait a minute stand here for a minute he went over to the owners came back to me and said would you buy one in las vegas and i said well i consider it and uh they uh sold their am fm to me in from las vegas and so that's how i got into it las vegas at that time had only about two hundred and fifty thousand people living there and so it was a, a smaller community and uh I invested in that community and uh, then ended up buying another station in Reno when I expanded it about uh, eight years later. And uh, so I had uh, an AM FM in, in Las Vegas and an AM in Reno. Now, at that time, how, what would be your typical um, client that you would get on the radio stations out there? Would they be primarily from the casinos and, uh, you know, uh, when the stars would come in, that kind of thing? Or are we talking about Ralph's Supermarket here? Well, we, we had a combination. It was, uh, we were a country station in Las Vegas. And uh, it was, uh, we were doing car dealers. We were doing retailers. We were doing the locals. Uh, but we also had casinos. That's the one nice thing about Las Vegas is you also have the uh, market, uh, the casino market. And so we were doing a lot of that. In fact, we were actually housed in one of the casinos at that time, hmm. uh, Castaways, which was across from the old Sands Hotel on the Strip. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where our, our studios were. So, uh, and, and another interesting point is our, our uh, landlord was Howard Hughes. Oh. So uh, I never, of course, never met him. I uh, met a couple of his people, but uh, never met him. Uh, very few people did, but uh, he was our landlord. He owned the, uh, the castaways at that that time. 
so uh, it was it, we, but we had a mixed bag of of clientele it was like any other in those days it was a, a mainly a retail uh, uh, clientele okay uh you know that would have been let's see around 1970 that would have been around the era uh, and i gotta ask you this because i'm an elvis presley fan that's when he started coming back to to uh Ve- or coming to vegas making his comeback so to speak and i've read stories where it was like the whole town the whole town just boomed when Elvis would come into town, especially at that time. And one of the things that his manager, Colonel Parker did would, he would buy up a lot of radio ads and billboard ads and things like that. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. In fact, I would, I would go and see the show. Uh, and I saw Elvis uh, two or three times when he was there and the Colonel did, uh, he, he would, uh, he would really promote, uh, the Dickens out of that show. <laughs> and, uh, they were the last time he was there that I recall, uh, and I saw him was at the uh, Hilton International, and uh, he played there. And, and I have to be honest, he didn't have a a big drawing at that point. Although the colonel would fill the place if he had to bus people in from Nellis uh, Air Force Base, he would bus them in. But he would fill it every show so that uh, it, it looked like it was uh, full. But Elvis had gained some weight. Mm-hmm. He uh, uh, was not the same Elvis that I before that would have been in the 70s it wasn't the it would have been somewhere in uh, I don't know uh, you know later in his career sure and uh, right right before his uh, unfortunate demise but uh, he, he was having a little bit a harder time uh, moving around the stage and had gained quite a bit of weight yeah so uh, but I enjoyed uh, you know seeing Elvis was uh, was yes it was spectacular but there were a lot of, you know, the uh, Jackson Five were out there too at that time, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of uh, up and comers that were uh, that were big in Las Vegas. And uh, in those days, you could go see a show for next to nothing, and they just wanted you in the casino, so they would give you free tickets to the shows a lot. So they had a lot of coverage, and uh, uh, but not like it is today. Today, it's uh, it's a zoo out there. So many people. Yeah. Um, what made you decide to get out of radio? Well, I, you know, I really uh, was in other things, and and I didn't have I, my home base was in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, I uh, I had a good general manager, and and he was doing well with it, but uh, it was it was a difficult business to to run remotely, and uh, it was also uh, you know it's 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 just tough as as it went along. I uh, and, and I was trying to spend time out there doing what I should do in management, and I uh, I was getting pushback from my associates back in Kansas City saying, you know, you're spending too much time, uh, believe it or not, in Las Vegas, uh, not having fun necessarily, but but working on the radio station. But they said, you know, we'd like for you to spend more time. I had a, a, a growing advertising agency in the Kansas City area and. And they wanted me to spend more time in that, and so uh, I uh, ended up saying, "Well, all right, I'll uh, end up selling the stations," and uh, and I ended up selling the FM uh, way too early. Uh, I should have waited, but I sold it in the mid '70s, and then held on to the AM, and uh, ended up keeping it until uh, 2001 when I sold it, and so uh, uh, and then I I also got rid of. Uh, uh, the Reno station, the AM station in Reno, uh, 
many years before in the mid 70s but uh, it, it was uh, it was a fun business an exciting business and a lot of things happened I mean we had we had the first disc jockey he wanted to be the first disc jockey in the world to ever streak on air remember streaking <laughs> oh yeah I remember when that was going on, mm-hmm. and he decided he would. So he got on the air, locked the studios up, and wouldn't let anybody in, and uh, took all his clothes off and stood there and said, "I'm streaking on the air," <laughs> and uh, that was <laughs> that was quite an adventure. When we had to break down the doors to get him out of the studio, <laughs> and and then uh, we had some other uh, episodes out there with. Uh, uh, people that were more of the Las Vegas uh, type, uh, you know, uh, into showbiz and mm. uh, way, way too, uh, way too involved in, in the life of, of showbiz than they were in the radio business. But uh, so it was hard finding a good, uh, good uh, sales crew, and it was hard finding a good at that time. Uh, good uh, on the air crew as well. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wanted to move on and be in showbiz, <laughs> and so. Uh, uh, but it, you know, we we maintained it, and it was uh, uh, it was good while it was there. But I, it was time for me to move on. Yeah. All right. I sure wish we had a lot more time to talk with you, um, but uh, we do want to remind everyone. So now you are. Um, Working on expanding uh, the beauty brands uh, store like you here in Avon and just going to do that all over the country, right? Well, we hope to. We hope to uh, grow it. We want to get our feet solid on the ground with the 25 stores that we took over, uh, re, you know, reclaimed, and and uh, we're going to get those stores operating the way they should uh, and back uh, to, the, to the way we had conceived the concept originally. And so... Uh, you know, the customer has always been the most important thing uh, to us, and uh, we felt the customer had not been taken care of like they should have, and we need to make sure that we're doing that properly and that we're training our people properly to to uh, uh, to service the customer. And uh, that's been our uh, our claim, claim to fame, and uh, we're going to continue doing that. That's we say the customer is the boss, and the next person in the door is always the, the most important person in our business. And uh, also, our slogan has always been, uh, what's good for the customer is good for us. So we, we always uh, work in that in that direction, and, and the next is to take care of our associates. So it, it, uh, it's been a, a successful uh, venture for us, and we want to turn it back to that that uh, original uh, concept. Well, Bob Bernstein, he's the owner of Beauty Brands in Avon. We certainly do appreciate you talking with us, and we wish you good luck. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you uh, being at our opening, and we appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, and we wish you all the best. As promised, uh, I've been telling you all during the show, we have some folks uh, to talk about the 9-11 Memorial here in Brownsburg. Uh, across the table from me, or across the mic, I should say, uh, is Mr. Jim Miller from the Brownsburg Fire Territory. How's Jim? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Glad to hear it. Now, 
Uh, the other on the other side of me on microphone is Mr. Brian Byron. Is it Brian Byron? Byron. 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 Yeah. I just want to make sure I had my read my own chicken scratch. <laughs> Byron Stevens from the Rotary Club. We'll start off with uh, Jim first. Jim, tell us what you do with the Brownsburg Fire Territory. I'm a firefighter with the Brownsburg Fire Territory. I'm also their public information officer. Okay, and then uh, Byron with the Rotary Club. Yeah, I'm a second-term president with the uh, Brownsburg Rotary Club here. Okay, sounds good. Now, what you're here specifically to talk about is the Hops and Vines event, but we'll back up just a little to uh, get a little bit of background information. I'm not really for sure which one of you to start off with. Um, we'll start off with Jim to talk about uh, the, the, the piece that came yeah. from... Uh, the World Trade Center. Tell us a little bit of history on that. Yeah, that piece we call it an artifact. It is a, a genuine, uh, you know, just like you'd call any other museum piece or, or any other piece that you might... Uh, or important piece of yeah, history. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. So the artifact uh, came to us nearly 10 years ago. Uh, well, actually, it was just right at 10 years ago uh, after a period of time where we had applied for and received permission to take possession of, of the artifact. It was kept in a, in a hangar with... Uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of other pieces uh, or artifacts from the World Trade Center from that recovery. There was a process that was uh, had to take place, which led to a federal court order that transferred that ownership to Brownsburg Fire Territory. And how long ago was this? That was 10 years ago. It was, okay. it was September 9th when we finally brought it back of 2009. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this wasn't just... Uh something Jim put together. This had a lot of people behind it, right? Well, it was it certainly at the end, uh, it, it did. It was a pretty slow start to begin with, that's for sure. The idea behind it was simply to, uh, when uh, when I became aware that the artifacts were available uh, for for organizations like ours, uh, we, we are, yeah, I did go ahead and apply for that just uh, as a single self-initiated act to to try to get a piece that and the idea was maybe to just bring that back to the firehouse we'll put it there when we do a station tour maybe we say here's this and this is why um you know age appropriate so that was the idea behind it and then it uh, it grew over the course of a decade of a full decade now we have this amazing memorial downtown well let's talk a little bit about how the rotary got involved byron yeah we um each year as we're doing our our a key fundraising event, Hops and Vines, we're looking at trying to find, we do international projects, but we also try to do something local. And um, it was actually brought up in a meeting, said, hey, they're doing this 9-11 memorial. And honestly, it was the first time I had heard about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I scheduled a meeting with uh, Chief Alcorn, uh, had breakfast, kind of find out the details on it, and I brought it back to the club. It's the first unanimous vote we've had since I've been a part of the club that, like, this is a piece of history, and it's going into the new downtown Brownsburg. We want to be involved. So uh, we immediately voted to make a uh, $25,000 pledge uh, from our club uh, to help support the building of this, and uh, and it's it's the first thing I can remember in our club where we had just a hundred percent support everybody behind it. And, uh, uh, Jim and I have talked frequently ever since. And, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a group effort. Definitely. Yeah. Now when was the dedication, uh, it was just this past week on September 11th of this year. Okay. It was on September 11th of, Mm -hmm. of this year. And, uh, the, 
were you happy with the turnout? I was stunned. Uh, after being around the project for just like anybody, after being around a project for ten years, you, you know it starts to dull down a little bit. Right. You know, uh, even something in, as incredibly and emotional as that is, um, I had lost some of that. And to see the turnout, there there was very rarely a time during the entire day where there was nobody there. Uh, in large part, there was at least one person there looking at the memorial the entire day from sun sun up to sundown. Who yeah. uh, who came up with the design for that? Well, it was a, it boy. The designs uh, over the years were uh, there were at least six different ones which were uh, sent to architects for renderings, but that particular design came from a. Uh, a collaboration between Kramer uh, here downtown and uh, and others, who, whoever their architect was, mm. uh, that brought them in. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, fundraising. I mean, uh, there's this is uh, we're t- you got one coming up, but it's not the first one, right? There's been a lot of hats passed. So Certainly, to speak. yeah, many fundraisers over the years in the form of uh, what you name it, every kind of fundraising thing. That we didn't sell any cookies, I guess we didn't do any of that stuff, <laughs> but but we did a lot of different fundraising uh, efforts. Um, Currently, we have a T-shirt campaign, a T-shirt sales campaign that people could find on our Facebook page at Brownsburg Fire. Um, that's a that's the only current fundraising campaign that we have, other than the action, the legitimate fund, which is at the Hendricks County Community Foundation. And people could go to their website and donate anytime they want. And that's probably an ongoing thing, right? It is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Has been for quite some time. Let's talk about uh, this coming up that the Rotary Club is doing uh, with. Um it looks like Lucas Oil Raceway. Is that right? It's called Hops and Vines. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, beer and wine tasting event. This is our fifth year doing it, and uh, our second year at Lucas Oil Raceway at their, uh, I guess we'll call it new. I think it's about three years old now. The mm-hmm. uh, Top Eliminator Club Pavilion. Uh, it's a uh, a big building, uh, very nice for events, and uh, and that is coming up on October fifth uh, from six to nine p.m. And uh, as of now, we have, uh, I believe we're at 12 or 13 uh, breweries and wineries and distributors involved. So uh, it'll, it, it, a, lot of, a lot of places uh, people will, have, will recognize, including uh, Mind Over Mash here in town, uh, Daredevil that's uh, down the road in Speedway, and then as far away as uh, People's Brewing in Lafayette when I contacted them. They loved the idea of the cause and jumped in. So, um, yeah, on, on our website, brownsburgrotary.org, you can go there. It has all the info. We're updating the breweries and wineries as we add them. Um, it has a link to our Facebook page all about the event. And then uh, has a, a link to buy tickets online as well. So, um the venue can hold 800 people, not really with all of the things that we'll have in there, sure. you know, silent and live auction items and that type of thing. But, uh, uh, you know, we're not going to be begging for money all night. It is a beer tasting and it is a fun event, um, but we think you can have fun and raise money at the same time. Oh, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Now you have some sponsors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Kevin Kersey Agency here in town, he's, uh, he's the presenting sponsor. Uh, we have a, a whole list of sponsors and actually with I don't want to forget somebody sure. so those will all be listed on our site as well um, a lot of uh, local help goes into this and and some quite frankly that will write a check and want to be anonymous they sure. just you know hey we want to support the cause but we don't 
we don't need any recognition. So we we appreciate uh, all of that help locally because uh, all the money that comes into our club goes right back out into the public. And, and while the main beneficiary of this is the 9-11 Memorial, we're also helping Indy Honor Flight again this year. Uh, our club and the other Hendricks County Rotary Clubs, Danville, Plainfield, and Avon, um, worked together last year and raised enough money to put an Indy Honor Flight back on the schedule that had been canceled. That was nearly $100,000 between the four clubs. Wow. Uh, and we also do a bunch of scholarships, and we try to help out uh, local education needs as well. The primary beneficiary of this this year, though, is the 9-11 Memorial, and that's that's our, our, our main focus for this. All right. Now, if folks want more information about the hops and vines, or maybe they want to get more information about the Rotary Club, what do they need to do? BrownsburgRotary.org. That's our, that's our website. You go there. It has info about the club and this event, and then there's also a way to contact us there as well. Um, it, it'll go, you know, straight email to one of us in the club, and yeah, we're we we are always looking for new members that we, you know, our Rotary's concept is do good around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we're known for working on polio uh, internationally as well too, but we're always looking to just give back to the community and make a difference where we can, and and this was one of those ways. And if you if you want to get involved and do some things around here we'll, we'll put you to work so uh yeah we'd, we'd love to have you all right and of course if folks want more information about the brownsburg fire territory as well as how to get one of those t-shirts what do they need to do yeah you can uh, find the of course you can find all of it on our website as well at uh, brownsburgfire.org or our, our facebook page has the link to that t-shirt campaign we're still a little short of that minimum order actually so uh, we'd like very much to fill that order uh, here in the next week or so sure all right. Sounds good. Jim Miller of the Brownsburg Fire Territory, Byron Seams of the Rotary Club. Did we cover everything? I think the only thing I forgot is uh, Dawson's, too, is providing the food. So there will be food. It's, we're not just Uh-oh. giving people a bunch of beer that night. We actually <laughs> want them to eat and drive responsibly. responsibly. So uh, we'll be uh, alerting Uber and Lyft as well that there will be options for them. So uh, okay, thank you. Sounds good. All right, guys, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Our next interview is with Cheryl Sackett, and she came here to talk about the Bow Wow Bash, but she also talked about Misty Eyes and some uh, future things, uh, or at least some goals that they have. Now, we're going to bypass most of the Bow Wow Bash uh, part of the interview because that event has already happened, but... We do want to let you know what's going on with Misty Eyes, so we certainly do thank Cheryl Sackett for being here to talk about it. As promised, here she is, Miss Cheryl Sackett from Misty Eyes Bow Wow Bash. It's the ninth annual. First off, how is Cheryl? I'm great. I am great today. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, this isn't your first time here. Uh, we were just talking off mic. Mm-hmm. It's the ninth annual, and yep. we've you've been coming to the radio station off and on all those years talking about Bow Pretty Wow much Bash. Every year. Yep. And uh, not my first rodeo. Not your first rodeo. That's right. Um, we are raising money this year for a giant uh, need of ours. Um, we are starting to build Kitty City. Oh, right, right. And then we are going to build Canine Country, and when we build those, we'll be able to house. 
50 cats and 50 dogs, mm. and then it'll take all the heat off our foster homes. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I had seen, uh, Misty Eyes had um, earlier this year, I believe it was, a dinner uh, fundraiser, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and um, I saw... Um, I'm going blank here. Renee um, Harler? Renee, thank uh-huh. you. Saw Renee at uh, the Plainfield Chamber of Commerce. She did a big presentation talking about, uh-huh. like you said, canine country. and uh-huh. uh, Or is it that right? Canine Can- country. And kitty. And kitty city. Kitty city. Yes. Explain to them a little, because as long as I have known Renee and Misty Eyes, that has always been a problem is there's a lot of burden on the foster uh, uh, keepers or, or pets, what, owners, whatever. What's the word I'm looking for? Foster, foster homes. Just foster homes, thank yeah. you, yes, uh-huh. for pets. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they can't keep them there. They just quickly have to find someone, right? Right, right. So um, Misty Eyes has been around for eight years now, uh, founded by Sherry Fox and Renee Harler. Mm-hmm. And, um, yes, we run all on foster homes. So year after year, they've just been able to raise or to save uh, hundreds and hundreds of animals and uh, like at the moment, we have seventy-seven animals, mm. which is a lot for a little foster-based rescue. Yeah, no kidding. And so we have to turn away uh, animals more often than we would like. But once we get Kitty City and Canine Country, we won't have to do that anymore. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And let's remind everyone: where is that going to be? Okay, so that uh, well, we already have an administration building. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, on Dan Jones Road in Avon, just okay. south of the railroad tracks. So, 616 East. Well, Avon. Yes, let's we'll just, just go Avon. with that. Yes. <laughs> 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 like last year, we were able to raise 18000 Wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. I mean, that we only have two big fundraisers a year. Raise the Wolf that you were just yes. talking about. Yes. And then um, Bow Wow Bash. And so, the more money we can raise, the faster we can get those buildings built, the more animals we can save. So So if you missed any information, you can give me a call here at the radio station, 317-852-1610. If I don't know the answer, I'll get you in touch with uh, Cheryl or someone from Misty Eyes or Bow Wow Bash, and hopefully they can answer your questions right away, right? Yep. Uh, You can reach me at Cheryl, which is with an S, Mm -hmm. S-H-E-R-Y-L, at mistyeyes.org. And uh, hopefully, if uh, you have any other questions or whatever, we can get them answered. Cheryl, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Central Indiana Today with your host, Shane Ray. This program has been sponsored by Duke Energy. Duke Energy offers these tips for understanding your bill. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills are for 30 days, but there are times when the billing cycle is shorter or longer. If there are more days in the bill, it could be higher. Look at average kilowatt hour uses per day. At first glance, your bill may look higher, but if your average use is similar to the same time last year or in a month with similar extreme temperatures, it's a normal bill. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232.